And now it's my very great pleasure to introduce tonight's moderator, Mr. Warren Olney. Warren Olney is the host and executive producer of KCRW Public Radio Program, To The Point. He also hosted Which Way LA, KCRW's signature daily local news program from 1992 until 2016. Olney and his programs have been honored with more than 40 national, regional, and local awards for broadcast excellence. He's received Emmy Awards for reporting and anchoring and golden mics for investigative reporting. Please give a very warm welcome to Mr. Warren Olney. Thank you. Thank you. It's always a great pleasure to be here. I love Sokolo and all the things that uh, it does and all the people who come. Uh, it's always a great audience, and uh, so it's delightful to be here with you, and thank you very much for coming down and filling up all the chairs. That's great to see. Uh, we're going to be talking about this book, as was uh, mentioned a moment ago, as you all know, and it will be available in the lobby, and so will the author who is with me uh, today. Uh, who is uh, Maggie Delmas. She is the co-author, I guess I should say, of the book. There's another name on here, David Colgan, who's, who's not here, here today. But he's here. Okay. Hi, David. How are you? Uh, it's The Green Bundle, and it's an interesting title. And the subtitle is Powering the Market with the Planet, which is not immediately self-explanatory, but it's an, it has an interesting There's some mystery to ring it. to it. You're interested in the environment. And I'm, I'm interested, and I think the audience would be very briefly before we start talking about the book, and how you got interested in the environment, particularly from the perspective you have at the Anderson School at UCLA. And Maggie, incidentally, is a, uh, is a faculty member there, and she's also the uh, former president of the Alliance for Corporate Sustainability. Uh, she is widely published, uh, and, but she's doing it from a corporate point of view, if I can say that correctly. How did that happen? Well, I was working in a, in a corporation a while ago and just realized that most people in this organization had you know, little understanding of the environment. And then I worked in, uh, in government in, at the European Commission in Brussels, and I realized that people in the government didn't really know much about what was happening in corporations. So I felt like there's kind of a, a mismatch. And um, so I started to research that kind of area related to how businesses can change their behavior and pollute less. And government being one, you know, uh, one push uh, that kind of pushes you know, corporations to, to change their behavior. But I realized that um, most of the time it's not enough. And I realized also that there are some incentives in some ways where it's possible to do the right thing from a business perspective and also to better the environment. So I've been working on trying to find these kind of win-win solutions because businesses are not going to move, are not going to change if they can't really you know, get um, some profits out of it. So I'm trying to find when it works and when it doesn't. It doesn't always work, these win-win solutions, but that's how, um, what I'm trying to, to find anyway. And you have made an academic career out of this and now the book. Right, yeah. So who's the audience for the book? Who do you want to have read this? So I, I want to have as many people as possible. <laughs> <laughs> that goes without saying. Yeah. So um, I first started to think about this from the perspective of, of a manager in a company. I say, well, you know, if you want to do something in your organization, how should you think about this? But I also have another kind of level where, you know, for all of us, 
what will that take for all of us as consumers, as citizens, to change the way we live? And can information um, save the Earth? Can us, when we know more about the environmental impact of our daily kind of commute, of our daily consumption, what can we do with this information? And I think that now, and in, in, you know, can you imagine in, in 20 years, I think we will all have a lot of information about our, everything we consume. We'll know maybe the impact of the meat we eat, and maybe we won't eat any meat actually in 20 years, but uh, we'll know about the impact of our electricity usage in real time, uh, how bad, you know, when we drive, the impact on air pollution. All of this will be, I think, available. And so once we have this information, what will we do with it? And I think that's, that's really the question I, I pose in this, in this book, which is, you know, what are the ways to change behavior with information? And I, what I'm saying is that information is really important. We can't change our behavior if we don't know our impact. And I think today, when we're talking to each other, we, we might have an impact right now, but we don't know. We were just looking at this uh, Fiji water here. What's the impact of this? Part? So we have some clues, but uh, uh, we don't really know. And that's why we're still drinking it. Um, but so once we know, will we change our behavior? Maybe we will, but maybe it's not enough. Maybe we need something else. And so in this book, what, I, what I'm, I'm you know, kind of arguing is that we need to frame the information in ways that kind of talk to us. Not just the environmental benefits, but also some benefits. There's some things that are actually co-benefits, and I'll talk more about it, I guess. You define some interesting terms, and what you're talking about is what you refer to as conscious consumerism. Mm -hmm. So define, elaborate a little more on what, what you mean by conscious conservative, excuse me, consumer, consumptionism, I beg your pardon. Mm. Conscious uh, consumption. Um, do I use that term, actually? You do use the phrase conscious consumption, yeah. Um, <laughs> if I finally could get it out, uh, you'd be able to... Because I use a term which is conspicuous consumption, uh, which is about the fact that a lot of us consume kind of to show uh, right. you know, what we have. Right. Uh, and so that's something that uh, more and more people are thinking about. Could we use a different terms that is conspicuous conservation, where we show who we are through our consumption, we show that we can conserve, and that would be kind of a way to, you know, uh, to incentivize those who want to show that they are kind of greener, that they are doing the right thing. So it's in opposition to conspicuous consumption, which is kind of what, you know, might lead to a lot of the environmental problems we have over consumption. Maybe I'm the one who thought of the term conscious consumption. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's your term. It strikes me as a good term, and it is what you're talking about, because you want people, as you indicated earlier, when you picked up the Fiji bottle, to be aware mm -hmm. of what they are doing. And you said a moment ago that it might be we get to a point where we know so much that we really will have changed our lives. But what you, what you also report is that knowing and wanting to make a difference like that really isn't enough. Right, so it's not enough to know, it's not enough to be conscious right. about our right. impacts. Um, what we need is also to kind of tick in terms of our in, you know, incentives. And so 
what I'm you know, kind of describing here are different elements that make us feel that when we are uh, you know, doing kind of when we are reducing our consumption or if we are buying green products, we also get something that is a private benefit. So we are not going to do things just for the environment. It's not enough. I think most of us won't do that. Uh, we are often doing things because we also get some other benefits, such as, for example, we see uh, you know, the organic uh, movement has been very, very, very um, effective and successful because we are often buying green products, organic products, because they are good for our health. So we're buying you know, organic milk because it's good for uh, the vitamins, it doesn't have the chemicals. And so therefore, that's one reason when we bundle the environmental benefits, organic products, with the um, health benefits. And that's the bundle, that's what you know, I'm talking about, which is the bundling the health benefits here with the environment. The organic movement, you say, is very successful, and yet it turns out that the number of people who are, as you refer to them, dark green, is really only about the same size as the number of people who are brown consumers on the other end. So that even though we see the organic movement and we think it's successful, uh, it really hasn't reached the majority of the consumers. Yeah, so I think like maybe 20 years ago, people thought that we all would become like, uh, and I know you're from Berkeley, um, uh, with uh, you know the Berkeley archetype, someone <laughs> with Birkenstocks. I've tried to uh, shake it off. And, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of <laughs> biking to work and, uh, uh, you know, vegetarian and all this. And so most of us haven't really embraced completely that lifestyle. And most of us are not really ready for these uh, trade-offs. So this, this kind of the super dark green people who are really uh, boycotting products and suffering for the cause, and have been very eff effective at this, are a tiny minority. And at the other end of the spectrum, I think we have the brown consumers who really show off their you know, huge SUVs and, and are happy to pollute, are also, I think, uh, a small minority. So in between these two uh, categories, we have the convenient environmentalists. And these are people who want to do the right thing. And if you ask people, if you ask them, do you want to do something for the environment, you have an incredible majority of people, and I'm, I'm sure if I ask you here, you think the environment is important, I think you would not have showed up tonight if you didn't think so. But most of us, you know, and most of you would say yes. And so when we do survey, 70% of the, the population say, we want to do something. And then you go to the store and you find that the actual percentage of product, green product, is like less than 10%. So there's this big gap. And, People say they want to do things, they, the right thing, and then they yet there's kind of a gap between what they say they want to do and what they actually do. So how do you kind of you know fill this gap? And so that's the, most of us. I, and I'm I'm one of them. Say we are convenient environmentalists. So we will do it when it's convenient. Um, and so convenience is is really an important element. And yes. that's that's why again we need to bundle the environment with a private benefit, a co-benefit for people to really embrace it, to really embrace that. And that's when we will move from this tiny minority of, of people who are, you know, who are the fighters to kind of the more, the, the you know, larger majority of people and will change the behavior 
when we better understand um, what drive you know, uh, the, the, the change, I guess, consumption's change. Convenient environmentalist is another great term, and I wrote that one down, and I got that one right, <laughs> apparently. Uh, what you find is, when you do uh, behavioral research in this area, uh, is that two things. One, the more people have gotten to know about the organic movement, the more skeptical mm -hmm. many have become over the messages that they are getting. And that reinforces the fact that people have a very low tolerance for sacrifice. Yes. Um, so I think there are two things. There is the, the low tolerance for sacrifice. So people just are not ready for trade-offs. Um, we have evolved also, I mean, in our society here with a lot of uh, I, I guess, you know, convenience for, for, you know, I was talking about the, the Berkeley type, and now I think if you think about the, you know, green consumer, we've evolved into someone who drives an electric car, who is, you know, going to, uh, you know, food and all this. It's, it's a different, it's a different type. And so this type of consumer, the millennial consumer, is much less likely to sacrifice, for sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're saying, there are five elements on the, so I'm going to talk about the green bundle. So there are five elements, the bundle. There are five ways for consumers to actually embrace, uh, you know, either conserving or buying green products. Um, the first one is product need to have quality, the same quality of conventional pr uh, product or even higher quality. And it's possible. It's possible. I think if you think about um, Tesla, for example, so that's a product that people, uh, the electric car Tesla, the people are buying it not because it's green, actually, if you ask people. They, don't, they won't tell you, I buy it because it's a green car, yeah. So who has a Tesla here? No one? No one can say. Mm. Who would like a Tesla? <laughs> <laughs> I drive an electric car, it's not a Tesla. Mm. Well, that's great. So I think when you ask people who have Teslas why they get the, their Tesla, they will tell you, acceleration, they will tell you performance, they will tell you, uh, you know, they love the, uh, whatever, the, the screen. It's all about the, the quality of the car. They don't say, because I saved the planet. And if you look at actually Tesla's marketing uh, strategy, they never talk about the uh, environmental impact. They stay away from it. So that's, you know, I have some quotes, and I went through all the, actually Tesla forum, and people say, I like my Tesla, it's better than a Porsche 911, better than an SUV. I was thinking of buying a Ferrari, but you know, this is better. So you can see where they, 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 they get, it's about the performance, not about the, the greenness. So that's the first one, that's the quality. Um, second, it's status. So it's very co co correlated, I mean, uh, connected to, to quality. Status, some people like to show of uh, you know, their greenness, and then you can use that as a lever. So buying green product to show that you're green. And so um, an example in Los Angeles that, that was you know, kind of uh, a few years ago, st still on the same, on the car kind of business, the Prius, um, which, I, who has the Prius here? <laughs> <laughs> which I can say because I have one. It's not a very, very good-looking car. <laughs> and it took me a while to decide to get one. 
But then I saw my, you know, uh, I live uh, in uh, West LA, some of my neighbors, uh, like uh, Harrison Ford driving one, says, wow, you know, if he does it, then um, maybe I will you know, look like a movie star in my briefs. <laughs> Well, didn't they actually show up at the so, Oscar Awards? So, so the, way they, the way they did it, the way they made that car look really cool was uh, the Environmental Media Association in 2003, they did bring the uh, uh, stars at the Academy Awards in their Priuses. And that kind of changed the way people looked at that you know, strange looking car. It's like now, you know, it's, it's actually a cool looking car. Uh, and so they, 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 they got this switch by uh, using the star, the star power. So as, you know, when you can use the star, you should definitely use them. And, uh, and so there are studies that are showing that actually the Prius, people are willing to pay you know, a premium uh, for a car because of the, the, the different look. So the Honda Civic, which also has a hybrid, uh, didn't get, wasn't as successful because it just looked like a Honda Civic. It looked the same. And so why pay the premium for a car that looks the same? Right. So that was kind of a, so the status is, is another. We did so, and, and the distinction between one and the other isn't because one or the other is environmentally better. No, they are exactly the it same. It has other qualities that people are attracted to. They are exactly the same. They are competing cars. Yeah. It's just one looks green and, yeah. and, and cool and cool. Yeah. Sometimes For the it's right not kind of people getting in and out of it. Right, yeah. yeah. Sometimes. Uh, and so uh, we did a study actually when, um, if I may talk about this, uh, a study with uh, our um, students on UCLA campus. And we wanted to know um, if they could conserve energy. So we gave them information about the electricity usage in real time. So they would get in their room. So this way with the undergrads, so in their dorm, in the rooms, we get them information about the, their light usage the heating and cooling usage, and everything plugged in the wall. And they had this really nice website. We're very proud of ourselves. Super nice website. We had to equip the entire rooms because it's not done. So there was a lot of work. We worked with engineers. And we got them this super nice, uh, you know, each of them are nice. And they would see how they would be doing compared to the other rooms and all this stuff, the average. And the result was, you get all this information. And the result was nothing. So we spent actually a fortune on that. And uh, <laughs> the, the students couldn't care less. They're like, you know, this is really cool. Wow, yeah, mm, OK. Yeah. And that's it. And so we but were. But I want the heat, or I want the air conditioning. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it is, just like, I'm not going to change my behavior. I mean, they were very, very excited. They actually went to the website. We could see, because when you do a website, you could see they were looking at and I was like, OK. So what can we do now? Um, so what we did is uh, we kind of added a little twist to this experiment where we had these posters uh, in very prominent places in the dorms where we had each room had either a red dot for those who were using electricity above usage, above average, sorry. So red dot, red is bad. And green dots for those who were using electricity below average. Green is good. Every week, change the dots. In front of the elevators, they would just and then they would see everywhere. And, and then, after a couple of months of this, we saw an incredible change. So they, reduced, they reduced their electricity usage by 
So suddenly the information that was before private, they had this website, they could see their you know, electricity usage, they knew the average, but now it was personal. And it became public, then personal, and they said, you know, I want to, I want to change because I want people to see me as a green person. So some people, an anecdote, one guy said, because we had a focus group afterward, one guy said, when I was wearing sweaters, I turned everything <laughs> off, I just like, went to and then he said I got high fives, you know, in the corridors from my, so he was like, yeah, this is what I wanted. So two components of the bundle then are one quality, yes, uh, which has nothing to do with whether the, the product is in fact environmentally sound, but other issues that it does what it's supposed to do and does it very well, what it's basically supposed to do. Secondly, status, which we had just heard about. Tell right. us about health. So health is, I think, the most important actually driver of the bundle. It's uh, really, you know, most environmental problems, most environmental impacts have a health impact, health component. And once people realize that, then they are really much more likely to act. So that's why the organic movement has been so successful, because people make this connection between eating well and their health. Um, but there are, you know, other uh, kind of um, cases where this works. We actually did another experiment and uh, on with electricity usage, this, and this time in a different uh, location with um, apartments and family families living in these apartments. We gave also uh, information about electricity usage in real time on all the appliances, fridge. Uh, you know, microwave, uh, heating and cooling, everything. And we framed the information, we told people, you, you, you know, we asked them, what would make you conserve energy? What would be the most important driver for you to conserve energy? And then they said, I would want to save money, right? Most of us want to save money, and if you reduce your electricity usage, you reduce how much you pay, right? The second thing they said was, we also want to, uh, you know, kind of improve our health. So, so, okay, so we tried these two different, two, an experiment, and we gave the same information to uh, everyone, except one group got uh, the information framed in how much money they could save if they were like the most efficient in their complex in terms of their electricity usage. And we had another group where we say, let's see if now we make this environmental impact visible. So we told them, now you're using electricity, but this electricity has an impact on the environment. Actually, there's a power plant somewhere that actually is polluting the environment. You didn't know that because when you're driving your electric car, when you're driving, when you're using your fridge, you don't have a smokestack there. So you think it's clean. Like, if you think about, you know, we're using electricity, we probably have an impact on the environment right now, but we don't see it. So let's make it visible and see what they say. So the first, we had different, you know, treatment. The first was, uh, you're using X percent more electricity than your neighbor, uh, your most efficient neighbor. This corresponds to, let's say, you know, $25 that you could save over, you know, a year. And the other group had, you're using X percent more than your most efficient neighbor. This corresponds to like 400 pounds of air pollutants. And this has been known to cause uh, childhood asthma and cancer. So we had these two framing. Which one you think was the most effective? Money? 
health. Health. So, the, where those who received the health uh, message treatment, and then we had a control group who didn't get any message, but we, we looked at them. They reduced their electricity usage by 8%. And those with families actually to, uh, you know, more than that. Those with the um, financial message did nothing. They almost increased actually. So they realize actually electricity is really cheap here. Right? Just, so, so like they splurged, you know, it's like, okay, yeah. I didn't know it was so inexpensive now that I, because when we, we no, it's true, we, we are like, oh, we, I want, we want to save money, but actually to, to get to a point where it actually makes sense, it's, it's unclear. It, uh, you know, we could reach that in these small apartments we were. Um, so what I'm saying is that health actually, it's, you know, it's also, you know, it's when you eat, but it's sometimes also even for something like using electricity, when we are made aware of the environmental impact and the, the connection to health, people are much more likely, I think, to kind of, you know, do something. So that's the third element of the bond. The third was health, and then another was money. So the other money. one is money. So money is kind of it's interesting. Because money, yeah. money is kind of like, okay, I just give you an example where it doesn't work. Uh, money. Um, and so maybe in this experiment we should have framed money as a tax, because mm. here it's like you could save. Uh, so I think we have, we are not kind of uh, symmetrical in our response to, you know, people taking money from us or us making money. So I think when people take money from us, we are much more unhappy. So, um, uh, just, so I'm going to take a, another example, the example of the bags. So, um, I guess most of you in, you know, right now we have this ban on bags in, in Los Angeles, on plastic bags, right? So, but before that, when you would go to Whole Foods, they had this incentive, I don't know if you, they still have it actually, 10 cents if you bring your own bag. And I had a tendency to forget my bags. For 10 cents, I just didn't think it was enough for me to remember. <laughs> Um, and they would give you the look. They, I think they were trained at Whole Foods. It's like, oh, you didn't bring, did you bring your bag today? So, <laughs> uh, but then, then... So was that status then? Was there was status, yeah. but then I just, it was not enough. I guess the guy from Whole Foods was not enough for me to remember. Maybe <laughs> really was not my, you know, anyway. So, uh, but now that they actually make you pay 10 cents, you know, it's different. And now I bring my bikes, but I'm not the only one. So there are actually a lot of research showing papers showing this all over the US and, and beyond that when you make this 10 cents as a tax, people actually, you know, are more likely to respond. So an interesting thing that I just read today in the news is Starbucks is actually uh, starting to make people pay five pence, because they do that in the UK, they always try things abroad before here, uh, five pence uh, for a cup. So they give you a tax, say you're gonna, oh, you take this disposable cup, you have to pay. So five pence, I looked, seven cents, so, um, which is a tiny percentage of the cost of a latte. Um, and so they are going to start this too. And we'll see how, it's, uh, how we change our behavior now. We're all gonna bring our cup, I guess, for this, because of this. But it's interesting that actually a company yeah. is also starting uh, to do that. 
Um, yeah, so that's so money. Uh, what, I, what I'm saying is money uh, is a little bit more complex. It depends on how wh how it's framed, and it depends on the level. Also, it has to be sufficiently important for us to actually you know care. So what you call the bundle then, which is a series of strategies or stra strategic approaches uh, that has different uh, aspects to it: quality, status, health, money, and finally emotion. What yeah. do you mean by that? So emotion, I think, is. Uh, is the last uh, you know, kind of element of the bundle is the fact that a lot of the times I, I feel like the environment has been somehow theorized and be far removed from us and it's far away for other people somewhere. Or maybe there is you know, kind of, you know, kind of these big, uh, um, big events that might happen, uh, climate change and, and a bunch of uh, uh, tornadoes and stuff, but we're not completely sure. It doesn't relate to our daily life. Having uh, somebody else. Maybe, yeah, someone else. And I, I feel that the, the, the message has been very negative and has been a lot, I mean, paralyzing people, mostly, rather than pushing them to act. It's like so big, it's so bad, and, and I feel like our the research community is a little bit at fault here in the sense that we've been trying to prove that there is a problem and maybe not emphasizing enough the solution. So a lot of people are just saying, OK, I mean, if this is so bad, then maybe I should just enjoy life while I can. Right? So uh, maybe not the best way to get people to act and change their behavior. So what I'm saying is you know, another way is maybe to kind of connect uh, people to the problem. So storytelling and um, you know, uh, there are companies that are doing that. So I take the example of Tom's Shoes. So the reason why I think this is called a one-for-one one model, you buy one pair of shoes and then they give one pair of shoes to a child in need. It's very simple, but you connect. You connect to that, you know, cause, to this, you know, to this uh, child. You, I also, the other thing is, a pair of shoes is very simple to understand. It's clear, you know, when we're saying, you know, two degrees in uh, 2050, and that might, it's just really complicated to, to process. Here you're saying, I can do something, and I know what a pair of shoes is, and I know I can have an impact. So I think that works pretty well. Um, there are, you know, some other uh, successful strategies that have been used by Dawn, for example. Uh, where they have, you know, we are very close. We, lo we love to see animals. So when you're connecting to animals and you, you see that a duck can be clean with Dawn, the soap, uh, after an oil spill, that works pretty, you know, to kind of get us to, to be moved. Um, so moving us, uh, and a lot of companies are, are starting to kind of more talk about their efforts and, and the connection to people and use emotion as a, as a lever. So I think it's an, an important one that has been, I think, a little bit forgotten in this, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in the research anyway and in the business world. So we have the bundle then, strategies that include quality, status, health, money, and emotion designed for companies that want people to change their behavior, want the, have as their goal. Uh, environmental improvement or environmental change or putting off global warming or however you want to phrase it. But that's not what companies, generally speaking, are in business for. What do you do to the company that's not, doesn't have that goal? Is there a way to use these strategies to get those companies 
to try to change their products in such a way that they have a beneficial result of the kind you want to see. So how to get companies who would not be interested in getting their product, to green their product? Yeah. Be, uh, yeah. So I, I think there are many reasons why you know, they should think about this more seriously. It's not just, I mean, here we're talking about consumption, and that's one. You know, it could be a company that's not really in, you know, facing, market-facing or consumer-facing. But you have investors now who are more, I mean, socially responsible investors who are becoming extremely active at screening companies based on their environmental impact. So if you want to attract capital, you, you know, I think this is something that companies are much more uh, serious about. Can you use these strategies to educate investors? So investors are uh, already kind of looking into this. They already are doing it. So they are you know, screening companies and, and looking at how transparent they are in terms of their environmental impact, which is you know, very important, the information about the impact, and looking at how their products on the market, the green, the, how green their products are, how they treat their employees, um, and all of this. So they are actually, design, you know, they have metrics to measure this. So this is one area. So the cons consumers are another one. Um, and you have, you know, you have uh, you know, the supply chain also, which is um, such a risk for most companies. So we as consumer would like to know where things come from. Um, I think, you know, and that helps us, it's part of the information, right? I mean, it helps us make these, these choices. A lot of companies don't know where they com their products come from. There have been so many surprises. Um, I'm thinking about um, you know, Lululemon, that's a case where they had this um, scandal about some of their um, pants. I mean, there are several, of them, several scandals, but one of them, they just realized that what they thought was in their pants wasn't. They, they thought there was some seaweed that would give us some you know, kind of interesting um, benefits. They didn't. They were not in there. They realized that after the fact. Uh, we have stories with stented milk. We had stories of, uh, you know, kind of catastrophes in, in Bangladesh. Uh, the companies didn't know that they had, um, they, they were manufacturing things there. There was, there were some, uh, in Europe, um, a scandal about horse meats. People would find horse meat in their burgers and they had a really hard time to figure out where the horse meat came from. So it just happens a lot like this. So uh, here in, in uh, Los Angeles, Mattel also had uh, an issue with lead in the toys. They had to recall a lot of their toys. So supply chain issues, supply chain is the most important impact uh, in general. I mean, the, the size of the supply chain are huge. The impact is mostly in the supply chain. The risks for companies are immense. So they are more and more kind of you know, aware of this and, and looking at this for the information. So I don't think that companies now can avoid uh, looking at how their products are made. And in addition, if I can uh, continue, they also, there are some benefits. So what, what, you know, what we're saying in the bundle is that there can be some benefits some added benefit from being green, some efficiency benefits. So you could reduce your cost as a company. You could design your products much better so they are better used uh, by thinking about this. 
And so there are many reasons why firms should look into this seriously. One of the standards or one of the sources of standards that you refer to in judging whether companies are getting greener or not are, uh, are informa is, is information studies and so on that are coming out of the Environmental Protection Agency. Mm -hmm. uh, how much of a problem is it going to be for you, uh, particularly, if in fact we continue to have an Environmental Protection Agency run by people who don't care about these standards, who don't want necessarily to see them achieved at all, and who may even stop the studies from even taking place. Right. So I am a big fan of information policies and of the, for example, the toxic release inventory for, you know, that the US EPA has put out. So I, there's a law that was um, issued in the 80s that's the Right to Know Act. And the Right to Know Act is the right that we have as citizens to know who is polluting our backyard. And the US EPA, uh, with this, uh, you know, uh, using this law, has issued the toxic release inventory, which provides information of the chemicals that all the facilities are, you know, kind of emitting uh, everywhere in the United States. We, as researchers, have used a lot. The toxic release inventory has been incredibly useful to figure out who is polluting in the US. And so uh, I'm hoping this will continue. It's been, you know, this, this, this information is, is crucial. Um, and so um, I'm hoping this will continue. Otherwise, that will be really problematic. Because having standardized information is important. If you have a company polluting and another one polluting with information from the US EPA, you can compare. This is in pounds, the same amount of pounds. When things are voluntary, a company might say, I am polluting X pounds of this per shoe. The other one is say per bottle, per. And so how do you compare? This is really much more problematic. So if we want information to be used, it needs to be standardized. And if it's just voluntary, it's much less likely that it's going to be standardized and usable. So I hope that um, the USCPA will continue to do what they do. You talk in the book, as I referred to earlier, about people learning more and becoming skeptical about the whole idea. One of the issues that you talk about at length that has had a serious impact on all of this is greenwashing, which is mm -hmm. the lying about what it is that the product does or doesn't do. The prominent example being Volkswagen with the, uh, the uh, diesel fuel. Yes. Um, how serious a problem has that been? How much has it set back the effort to get people to take seriously the uh, efforts that companies are making or ought to be making mm -hmm. and becoming green? Yeah, so I think it's a big problem, yeah. I think uh, all of us must have, you know, kind of some examples of, of greenwashing. So greenwashing is basically kind of, you know, saying, the company saying that they are doing green things in one you know, area and then doing the contrary. There was just a very recent one. Actually, we're talking a lot about cars today. But uh, Nissan, I don't know if you heard, um, in Japan they also were um, cheating on some of the tests emission tests. So if you don't, you know, if you can't trust the Germans, and now you cannot trust the Japanese, you know, where are we going? So um, this is bad. So uh, anyway, uh, we've seen a lot of these greenwashing cases, and um, 
the best, you know, so in this book we're offering strategies to kind of um, avoid that. But this, this is really an issue. Because on, on the one hand, you're providing information and then you know, people are not trusting it. So people need to trust the information. It needs to be credible. It needs to be standardized. So we need to be able to compare. And then for us to act, we need to have kind of these co-benefits. So these are kind of all the elements. Transparency, uh, you know, credibility, uh, standardization, and then the elements of the bundle that says, you know, well, it's going to work when I have these co-benefits. But we have a president who denies Do we? climate change. <laughs> well, we have somebody who has that title. Um, who seems almost to propagandize against the goals that you're talking about trying to achieve. Um, how do you overcome that? Or, or are, are there strategies? Have you devised strategies? Is it part of the bundle? Uh, that you can respond to that in ways that will be effective and get accomplished what you want to see accomplished, even though uh, the President of the United States may not want to see that. Right, so, so the government is, is important, uh, and you know, um, as I said, for standardization, it's really important. Um, but it's not the only actor here, right? So we do have uh, investors. I'm actually, th I think that investors are going to be much more uh, you know, active and important in this in, his, uh, in moving companies. So I think the investment, investing community is another Don't they have actor. to be persuaded that they're going to be able to make more money in addition to seeing environmental If, if it's voluntary, yes. They will have to be convinced that there is a benefit yeah. to them. And you see now more and more, so investors, employees, so that's the other one. So now for companies who are competing for talents uh, and, you know, kind of attracting these young talents, they need to also kind of show that they care about something beyond profit or they actually ha are doing things in, in ways that people feel resonate with them. So it's not just, you know, kind of doing the right thing because it's the right thing, but it's also because your constituent, your employees actually care about this. So I think there are just more and more elements that make companies, it's, it's more and more difficult for them to just turn the head and not think about it. They lose employees, they lose potential capital, so it's just harder. You begin the book with a really interesting story, I think, about an industry that is in fact going green, but doesn't want to tell anybody about it, mm -hmm, the wine yeah. industry. Mm -hmm. Yes. So. Yeah, the wine, so that's the puzzle. So there's a puzzle in the wine industry that you have a lot of winemakers, wine growers who believe that organic and biodynamic practices are the way to go. And yet, we surveyed them in California. We did a survey of, of the wineries in California. And only one third of those who go through certification, which is 15% more expensive than conventional growing grapes, so organic certification, where you grow grapes without chemicals, then only one third put something on their label on their bottle. Two thirds are doing this and don't tell anyone. It's like silence. So why, why is that so? Why would they not brag about it? And so I you know, asked them, and they're like, well, you know, consumers are not completely crazy about organic wine. They think it's hippie wine, maybe not as good. 
Um, so let's just not talk about this. So like, why do you do it then, if the market is not responding? And they say, well, you know, when you grow organic, uh, you know, organic grapes, then the soil is different because you don't have the chemicals and so there's more organic components. Um, the grapes are different and they are easier to work with. They say you have actually le less yield, so there's more concentration of the sugar. So there are reasons to believe that our grapes and our wine is better. But we don't want, pe so we want people to taste the wine and think it's good quality, but we don't want to make that link with the, uh, you know, environments because we feel like they might not like it. That was kind of a strange, uh, a strange way. So that's kind of sometimes you have actually it's the silent bundle. So there is a link here very clear between, I mean, from the, uh, the wine grower's perspective, um, grape growers, I guess, you don't, you don't grow wine. <laughs> they, there is um, a link, or not yet actually, that's another thing, yeah. Um, you, there is a link uh, between the organic practice and the quality for them, but you don't need to talk about it. And it's a little bit like Tesla in some ways, you know, they don't really talk about the, the, you know, the, the fact that it's an electric car and it might be better for the environment. So they do it for that. So what we wanted to know if it's actually true. If, uh, so we asked consumers and consumers told us, well, you know, mm -mm, I, I'm happy to buy organic wine if it's less than $15. If it's more, I'm not sure. I want to pay because there is a risk. It's not as good. Okay. Then we asked, we didn't ask experts, actually. We looked at wine spectator, wine enthusiast, and Robert Parker. The ratings that they have, you know, from one to 100, when you go buy a bottle of wine, you can see the, the rating. And so we looked at the organic wines and compared them to the conventional wines, 74,000 bottles of wine. We, we took, that was electronic. I mean, we didn't actually have that. <laughs> <laughs> electronic data. So we had information, those that were organic and that were. And we did find that the experts actually were giving, you know, several points above the, for the organically grown grapes um, type of wine. So that they have this, you know, seems like a positive attitude toward it. But they're not advertising that. They're not going for that. And it goes back to that whole question yeah. we began with, which is that people might be able to get green but for different reasons than getting green. That's not, that's not right. what motivates them yes. to do it. Yes, and in that case, I think, they, I think it does motivate them too for the, actually the uh, grape growers. They also told us in these surveys that they feel the health impacts of mm. uh, using you know, fertilizer and pesticides and they want, you know, their families, the people who work for them to grow, to be healthy in, when they work in the vines. They've been um, a couple of years ago. That's in rare in the agricultural industry. I no, no, but I mean, out. people, it's not that, I think people are now realizing the link. Finally. And, you know, they've been yeah. years and years without realizing it. So in the Bordeaux area a few years ago, um, the Bordeaux area in France, lots of, you know, vineyards, and they also have schools schools, you know, elementary school. So they had to evacuate one elementary school because they were spraying around the school. And all the kids, including the teacher, became sick 
And so suddenly this area that has been very conventional, you know, they have the chateau and all well, they do things like they were doing things 200 years ago and all this, suddenly is waking up and saying, well, we are all kind of dying from that stuff. We need to change. And so, so it is quality, but it's also health in that, in that industry. It is time for me to give other people an opportunity to ask you questions. You have so much information. This is so interesting. And uh, I, I just never never heard anybody go into it in the kind of detail uh, that uh, you can find out in this, in this extraordinary book. Uh, Ricky Torres here from Long Beach. Uh, my question goes back to your beginning of your lecture when you talked about your UCLA study and when you made the students um, greenness aware in public corridors and how you think about China's new citizen awareness or citizen ranking, or what is a good citizen now? So that's a good question. Whether we want to have a rating as an individual, I don't think so. I think you know, that's a good question on how far we want to go. I mean, in that case, you know, are, are, we, are we shaming people? And I don't think we want to, be, want to live in a society like that. We know it's effective, though. So there was another story, uh, Beverly Hills um, in a few years ago, a few years ago not, not that long, a couple of years, a couple ago, years ago, they had uh, decided to, um, so um, the water, you know, the water district there um, decided to, uh, because there were some people in Beverly Hills, believe it or not, were using a lot of water. <laughs> and so they decided to send a letter to the top users uh, and tell them, please, you know, kind of use less. And so the Los Angeles Times decided through a Freedom of Information Act to get that, these letters and they published them. I don't know if you remember that. And a couple of people, famous people, were in the news. Recognizable names. Yeah, recognizable names. So um, Amy Poehler, for example, I remember, I think it's, she's using 12,000 gallons of water per day. Big number. Yeah. And I think it's something like, I forgot, 200 is the average, something like that. So anyway, it's like it worked. 700 uh, showers a day or something like that, just super clean. So, uh, <laughs> so what happens when this became public is that these, you know, people were high users suddenly looked into you know, what was going on and realized they had leaks, they didn't really you know, look into, and they fixed it. And after that, the uh, city of Beverly Hills uh, you know, got a reduction by 25% of the water. So it worked. But do we want that? You know, um, I guess if you know, for the top users, we're like, fine. <laughs> we do we want so there, there is a danger there. Hi. My guts tell me that it is more energy consumptive to create an electric car than a conventional car. And if that's the case, do we have to count the number of miles that you get to drive in your electric car before you're at some kind of balance between the two? We won't find any perfect solution. So when we're talking, some, we're saying something is green, it might be greener on some components, it depends where you live. Uh, electric car is an example where if you drive an electric car in California, it is, I think, cleaner in terms of the air you know, emissions than it would be in other states uh, where coal is the main, uh, you know, coal uh, power plant plants are the main source of electricity. So um, we need to, to look at each of these in the context and do a, a full life cycle assessment from cradle to grave 
Uh, and sometimes, uh, I agree, some of these solutions have not been looked into uh, completely. So I think it's important to have all the information. How are people encouraging new green businesses? Is there a green shark tank? I, I think there is an incredible um, enthusiasm for um, startups here and even in Los Angeles. So um, I'm going to do some shameless uh, promotion, but uh, we are starting a new podcast. I was talking to you about it. It's called Planet mm. Innovation. And so the idea is that you know, we're talking about solution for the environment and we're talking to businesses who are starting to develop these solutions. And it's incredible. I mean, you know, starting to talk to all these uh, new businesses, uh, and there's just so many, so many cool things coming up. So I think, you know, just by looking at what's going on, I, I see uh, a lot of optimism. Uh, I was intrigued by your story about how, when you changed about the energy with students from just private to a group, that people's behavior shifted. I wondered if you could talk a bit more about any ideas you have about framing and communicating and how we package information so we can you know change behavior I think the main you know the main idea of the of the bundle is actually once you have the information if it's credible correct and and standardized then you need to use one of these elements so here in the case of uh, electricity we are two of these elements that worked which were uh, health in that one case and status in the other one. There are some elements that work for some project and some others. So for status to work, you need to be able to show your product, to show, to wear it. Or in that case, we did put this, you know, kind of posters. Not every product is visible. There are things we don't show. Um, so it also depends on the product. So each element of the, you know, the bundle will be more likely to work for specific products. And there are some, for some products you can bundle performance, quality with status. It works pretty well together. But then maybe there are some elements such as money and emotion. You might not be able to use both at the same time. Hi, my name is Cynthia campoy Brophy, hey. And I wonder if you could say a little bit more about your win-win scenario. You actually shared one of my least favorite examples of social business, which is Tom's Shoes. Mm -hmm. And one of the criticisms about Tom's Shoes is that they don't encourage, that they um, discourage uh, self-sufficiency and they put mm -hmm. local business out, like a local shoemaker out of business. And I wonder if there's incentives for, that you could talk about for corporations to be authentically invested in social impact as opposed to the marketing tool. Again, none of these solutions are perfect, uh, and you know we can always find some some problems with all of them. Um, I think there is hope with the uh, I would say this new form of of organization such as the benefit corporation. So right now, um, businesses are evaluated mostly based on profit, right? And the the director in the company is responsible for making profits. This is the main objective, legally responsible. So there is kind of this movement towards a different type of corporation, the benefit corporation, and there's one, you know, California has adopted it, uh, where you would have the for-profits objective and then social and environmental uh, objective also included, so that this, this would be 
this would be kind of, these are actually, these are the, the ways a company is evaluated. So I think when you bring these other objectives, you get the directors, you get the CEO to think differently about you know, what they want to do. And I think it's important. So that's going to be, if this is adopted more broadly, going to be a bigger, bigger change, because not just marketing. It is you know, kind of part of the, of the company. Those who adopt these, these benefits uh, corporation status are really kind of thinking about a whole, you know, type, different types of impact. Mr. Abian, um, so you talk about the components of the bundle. I'm wondering where does affordability and accessibility fit into that? So the example that we keep talking about is organics. There's a premium to make those products, and a lot of time that's passed on to the consumer. So the percentages of people that are going to Whole Foods or that are buying organics, it's pretty small if you compare it to the population that mm -hmm, can't afford mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So how do we make it affordable for everyone from a social justice standpoint? So the question is you know, whether what we're talking about is just for the happy few, or whether we can go beyond, beyond this. Uh, um, and I think that a lot of these solutions that are started here have uh, you know, kind of are evolving and being kind of reduced in terms of the price. So that you could see even for the organic certification, the price going down with uh, Walmart you know, adopting uh, some of you know, its product being uh, organic. Uh, you could see a lot of the, the practices leading to efficiency, reduction in cost. So a lot of the, what the companies are doing these days is you know, when they start to think about their environmental impact, is suddenly saying, oh, well, I had not looked at my supply chain. I can be just change the logistic. I can change the, pro the way my products are made by design for the environment and thinking from the beginning. So I, 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 don't, you know, I don't think that this is just for the happy few, but there are a lot of solutions that are now kind of going everywhere in the world. Um, so... It starts, some of them start here, some of them start elsewhere, so. Hello, my name is Benjamin Falto Armijo, um, and my question to you is mostly about your, um, a lot of what you say is that, uh, information is sort of how we're gonna go about this, but as it stands, a lot of companies have um, real incentives to sort of dirty the science about uh, climate change, and in fact, the current issues on climate change have been sort of compared to the uh, issues of um, lead and gasoline and uh, cigarette smoke in the 50s and 60s about, how these corporations have that vested interest in maintaining a um, sort of confusion over the, the issue. So um, my question to you is how do you sort of, uh, in what ways do your five points kind of change that incentive to keep us misinformed about the realities of climate change and our uh, environment? We, you know, as, uh, as consumers have a lot of power. So this is, you know, kind of the book is starting with, you know, you give information to people and how to get them to act, but also, you know, it's just once people, when they have the information, they can act, they can vote. So I, I think that this is just, you know, also our responsibility. Question has to do with equity and um, curious about your thoughts about how to change um, behavior of like the companies and CEOs themselves. We see a lot of CEOs who have like increased their amount of wealth over the past few decades. And so I'm curious about um, how to kind of, you know, you mentioned Tesla and how um, there's been reports of Tesla, like workers not um, 
being treated fairly on kind of in, in their factories. So I'm kind of curious about like the equity piece and how that ties into the broader environmental mm -hmm. impact. And when I started um, working on the environment 20 years ago, um, on environmental issues, sustainability issues. It was really about the environment. And I see that now when we talk about, think about sustainability, it's environmental and social. And I was talking about investors, they, you know, they called it ESG, environmental, social, and governance. You can't really separate now just the environment. So companies cannot just say, okay, I'm gonna be green and really treat my employees badly. It's not, so it's kind of part of, of, a, of, a, you know, of a whole. So we are, and, and the questions for, um, the social questions are very similar, I think, in terms of you know, how do you measure these things, uh, how transparent are the companies about what they do. So it's kind of, it's, it's actually very similar, much more difficult in some ways to address actually, but similar in terms of how you address it. Transparency, and then you know responsibility, and then getting you know kind of people, employees, and and consumer to act. So I see a lot of similarities, yeah, and they are connected. Before we close, I'd like to thank our co-presenter tonight, the UCLA Anderson School of Management. A big round of applause for them, please. <laughs> also, thank. Big thank you to all of you for coming tonight. I hope you'll stick around and join us for a drink at the reception just outside in the lobby where you came in. We also have Skylight Books here tonight selling new copies of The Green Bundle, Pairing the Market with the Planet by Maggie Delmas. And finally, a big round of applause, excuse me, for Maggie Delmas oh, and you. Warren Olney. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Warren. Thank you. That was really good. That was good. Yeah.